the passage comes from Psalm chapter 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Oscar. My name is David, pastor here at Current. Happy Father's Day. Uh, if it's okay with you, I'm going to continue our series, Seasons of the Soul, as we look at the book of Psalms over the next few weeks. Uh, just as there are uh, any uh, different seasons of the year, we say that there are also different seasons of the soul, seasons of newness, life, joy, and hope, as well as seasons that feel a little bit more dark, maybe dreary and are, are harder. A lot of the Psalms are actually about that, about lament, about a hardship and how to work through them. Today's psalm is a beautiful one. It's one that kind of lifts our heads literally to the heavens as we'll, as we'll look at. Um, but as I said, if it's okay, I do want to continue to go through our psalms. This Mother's Day, we looked at a dedicated Mother's Day message on Father's Day. I think it's okay to kind of keep moving. I actually have a buddy. I have a buddy. He's a, he's a pastor, a friend at a church that is actually about 3,000 people, you know, big. So, you know, big church for the context of what I'm going to tell you. And on Mother's Day last year, he was preaching through a series. He's like, I'm just going to keep in the series for Mother's Day. We're just going to keep going. Not just say happy Mother's Day, but do the message. And that series was tough biblical topics. And on Mother's Day, I'm not kidding, kidding you, the topic was hell. He preached on hell for Mother's Day. And so now any day that I'm like, hey, I'm going to stick to plan and just keep with the series, I'm, I'm doing okay in my, in my mind. Um, happy Father's Day. We're going to get in the text here in a second. I, I want to pray for us first. And actually, also in light of Father's Day, on a, on a more uh, sober uh, topic. And, you know, if you've been paying attention uh, to what's been happening at the, at the border, it makes me think of Father's Day and all the families that are affected there. So I want to I pray uh, for, for that and then pray as we get into the Word. Uh, Father, you are our Father. We lift, you, we lift to you the precious children who have become separated from their parents and families. Father, please keep them safe and protect them from any kind of abuse. And help the children to be quickly reunited with their, with their parents and family. And Father, as a church, would you help us uh, see with your eyes and be a blessing in tangible ways. Please show us how we might do that. Father, as we look at your word today, would you just give us your spirit? Give me your spirit as I teach these things. I pray that you help me get out of the way and, help, and give us each of your, each of your spirit as we long to uh, encounter you, be touched by you, be changed by you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the psalm that was read, Psalm 8, is one of my favorites. I have a lot of favorites, so I'm not sure it says a ton, uh, but it's one of my favorites, and it's just a beautiful, magnificent psalm, and it contains within it one of the main core convictions for why I'm a Christian, why I'm a follower of Jesus, why I'm a follower of God. Uh, I know a number of you have heard uh, me share from the stage before uh, that when I was an undergraduate at, at UC Berkeley, I had a number of my friends say, hey, you're just a, you just follow Jesus because you're just Christian because you were raised that way. And after hearing that any number of times, I started to think, you know what, there, there might be some merit to that. Why do I believe what I believe? What is it that I believe? 
I went on a little bit of a spiritual journey of sorts, asking those questions, and I came to a core conviction that there must be a God. I mean, just one of the things that just, the core convictions of mine, as I was just thinking about life, what I believe and why I believe, there, there must be a God. Uh, and for any number of reasons, for instance, it talks about you have set your glory in the heavens. You know, to me, how amazing life is, so intricate, so complex, and yet so seemingly perfect in any number of ways, imperfect in others, and we'll talk about that later, but so intricate and perfect, it can't be random. So, for instance, I've always resonated with the philosophers who use the analogies like when you walk, it, life is like walking into a forest and you see the watch. You've heard this one. And you, you see, the, like, life is so intricate, it's so, it can't be random. It, it, so much comes together that it's like finding a watch in the forest. And if you see that watch in the forest, your mind immediately goes, well, who's and where's the watchmaker? Or the analogy that kind of stuck with me because I thought it was kind of interesting is like the, the tornado that goes through a warehouse that's filled with junk, and it out, uh, the outcome of that is, is, a, is a fully functional 747. Like, like when you think about life, it, it can't be random. But on the other side of things, I've always thought of life is just too beautiful. When you look around the world at how wonderful it is, there's just a beauty to me that I've always just thought that there must be a God. There must be a higher power. And so we look at this psalm today that's really kind of crying out with that thought. You have set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, verse 3 of Psalm 8, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Uh, This week I found myself reading a lot of uh, uh, quotations from the earliest of astronauts. Um, it's really interesting reading some of these early astronauts, what, like their experience, especially these ones who went out and saw the Earth at a, at a great distance, you know, kind of went out and, when, we were, when we were going around the moon and all that sort of thing. Uh, all of them, all of them became, in that moment when they saw the Earth in that respect, all of them turned from astronaut to philosopher. They all had these out-of-body, out of euphoric experiences. And quite a few of them connected that thought, that feeling, to their, their faith, For instance, there's astronaut James Irwin who said, The earth reminded us of a Christmas tree ornament hanging in the blackness of space. As we got farther and farther away, it diminished in size. Finally, it shrank to the size of a marble, the most beautiful marble you can imagine. That beautiful, warm, living object looked so fragile, so delicate, that if you touched it with your finger, it would crumble and fall apart. Seeing this has to change a man, has to make a man appreciate the creation of God and the love of God said James Irwin. And then here's how John Glenn put it. To look at this kind of creation out here and not believe in God is, to me, impossible. It just strengthens my faith. I wish there were words to describe what it's like. I'll never forget a time in college when I got uh, roped into going to a worship concert. Have you heard of this before? Some of you probably have. I hadn't really been familiar with the idea. A worship concert. I was like, what is that? And my friends were like, we're going to sing songs at this concert that are like on Sunday morning. I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, church service. And actually, when I got there, the musicians started the whole thing off by saying, hey, we didn't, we're not trying to trick anybody, but we're going to do a church service tonight. I'm like, this is interesting. Yeah, there's going to be a message. We're going to do a sermon. I was like, this is a new concert to me. Um, and sure enough, there was, a, there was, a, there was a, a sermon right in the middle. And I, I, I'll just say this. I've been to a lot of concerts, music concerts, um, that, have been, that have been wonderful. I've heard a lot of sermons, uh, talks, and uh, this, the, the talk at that concert is one that has just stuck with me, perhaps more than any other. Uh, the, the topic of the night was God's indescribable love. 
Uh, his text was not Psalm 8, but it very well could have been. He started off by saying something like I just said. Uh, God's, God and his love for us is indescribable. And all you have to do is go outside and look up to begin to get a sense of it. All you have to do is go outside and look up at the stars, um, and you'll start to see it. Now, we're in the Silicon Valley. If we could put up the picture of the, the stars that I have. Uh, we're in the Silicon Valley. You will not see anything near this if you walk out in our night sky. You have to walk probably five, you know, 50, 100 miles that way uh, to start getting a, uh, you know, a couple of those into, into, our, into our view. Um, but it's amazing that the universe that we live in, you guys know this, is, is vast beyond measure. We live in a small subdivision in the universe called the, the Milky Way Galaxy, of course, uh, which is amazing to ponder um, because we like to think, oh, I live in the Silicon Valley. I live on this little street. Um, but no, 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 no. We live in a small subdivision of the universe called the, the, the Milky Way Galaxy. And the universe is so vast that we have to use something called a light year to get around. A light year, of course, is the, 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 how fast light travels in one year. And we know that it's flying 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second. So if light goes 186,000 miles per second for a whole year, it goes 5.88 trillion miles, um, which, is, uh, which is our measurement to kind of get around the universe, which if you think about it, you know, the foot, you know, the yard, the, the mile even is just utterly insignificant when you think about uh, God's universe. Uh, we have to use a ruler that is 5.88 trillion miles long to measure things. And our home subdivision uh, consists of billions of stars, just our small subdivision, billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, not millions, not hundreds of millions, billions of stars. And scientists say that there are hundreds of billions of other subdivisions, other galaxies in the known universe. Um, If you look at this picture, this is just a snapshot of part of the Milky Way galaxy. You can't really, you know, I'm, I'm sure you could pull the Frames. I don't know. I, this is part of the Milky Way galaxy. And if you zoom in further, we have a, we have a picture that we can bring. I, you know, I've, man, I probably should have zoomed in even further. This is like a zoom-in picture of, of the Milky Way galaxy. Um, scientists tell us that if, we're, if we were to count, uh, you know, each of these stars, which are in the back, you might, I probably need to zoom in further. If you were to count each one of these stars one per second, it would take you 2,500 years to count all of the stars in our subdivision of the universe. Um, The psalmist is saying, this is the Lord, the majestic one, who has set his glory in the heavens. Through through Psalm uh, 40, uh, verse 25 and and beyond, God says this about about himself, which if you want to know how the universe is telling us about how majestic he is, how how amazing he is, uh, he he says this, to whom will you compare me? And who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these things? And then he answers himself. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Uh, If you want to get a a glimpse of this, if we can put up the the composite picture of the the Milky Way galaxy. Um, Obviously, we've never been outside the the galaxy, so this is what uh, we believe, you know, a lot of scientists believe it it probably looks like. This, our galaxy, if you were to go across it in terms of light years, is 100,000 light years uh, across, um, which means, you know, if you want to go visit your neighbor on the other end, from one end to the other, you have to just go 186,000 miles per second for 100,000 years, and and boom, you're there uh, for tea. Um, And then, uh, and and you want to know where we live at in this? 
you know, when I first saw this image, I, you know, this sort of image, you know, years ago or whatever, I used to think, oh, we're probably in the middle there. Uh, no, we're not in the middle, which starts to make the point that we're making here subtly, that we're not even in the center of our own small subdivision in the universe. Um, we wouldn't want to be in the center anyways because you, you die a horrible death there. It's a very, very scary place to live. We're not even in one of the bands that uh, you might think, oh, we're in one of those bands kind of coming out. That You wouldn't want to live there either because you die a horrible death there too. We are in between one, uh, one of the bands. If you can go and put, put the arrow to show us where we're at, that's where we are. And you know, if we zoomed into this picture, you still wouldn't see anything. You still wouldn't. We don't have a, we don't have a marker of relevant enough size compared to the galaxy that we live in to show our solar system in this picture. Of course, our solar system being a cul-de-sac of the small subdivision of the vast universe we live in. In fact, scientists say, if you could, you could think of it this way, uh, if in terms of comparing it to the, the, galaxy, the galaxy we live in, our solar system is about the size of a quarter in an in a, in a area expanse as large as North America. Uh, a quarter in the expanse of, of, of North America is our solar system in, in our galaxy. And somewhere in that picture, if you, you know, if you just conceptually follow, is not the biggest, not the baddest star of, of the billions, but just one of them. And around, them, around it is, is, a, is a number of, of balls orbiting, orbiting it, uh, planets, of course, uh, one of which we live on, which, which, which of course, is Earth. Um, I'll never forget what the speaker said around this point. He said, look, I'm not trying to make you feel small. I'm trying to, see, I'm trying to help you see that you are small. Uh, friends, that's what so, this psalm is getting at. We are small, uh, but it, it is significance in the insignificance. Um, I've spent a lot of time developing the, the moon and the stars, the heavens, that, that thought and how it declares God's glory. But this psalm also in verse 2 talks about the glory or him ordaining strength in children. And the old King James says, in the, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. Um, I'll tell you what, what a contrast, by the way. The miracle of life, even if you just go out the, uh, outside again, 100 miles away from here, and you look up, and you're just like, this is amazing. But you can also see it in, in, in children and in infants. Uh, I, this is Father's Day. I, can't, I don't know a single dad who, during the delivery process, provided he stayed conscious, who, doesn't like, who didn't look at their, his, his little one and think, my goodness, this is just incredible. Um, maybe they don't always word it this way, but it's basically the same thing. This is miraculous. I also think, man, my wife is amazing. She's a rock star. Um, but this is miraculous. I remember, and I can't, I can't do this full story. Um, our second kid, our, our little Maddie, when she was born, uh, there was just some complicating factors where she wasn't able to get the medicine that she needed before she was, she was born. Uh, basically, long story short, Maddie almost ended up on the ground. The doctor didn't even make it into the... It was scary. My blood pressure was really up there because the nurses and all that were very unprofessional about it. And if you're in, you know, carnal dad mode right there, you're really upset. And yet after Maddie came, and yes, she almost like hit the ground, like they literally football hike caught. Um, I, sorry, too much imagery there. Um, I, I, like I'm so mad, my blood pressure is literally up there, and yet there's my little precious one. I'm just like, it, I've never been an astronaut who's gone out there and be like, hey, this is the, this is the, the earth size of my... Th- but I've gotten to see a baby in the delivery room, and I'm just, that's miraculous. Uh, God has set his glory, his ordained strength in these ways. 
Uh, and when we consider children, infants in these ways, when we consider the vastness of the universe, the glory of the one who is behind it all, you know what strikes the psalmist the most? It's that as tiny as we are, we are known and prized by the majesty um, who loves us and knows us even though we are itty-bitty, teeny-insy-weensy little people on an itty-bitty, teeny-weensy little speck that's floating around in the great cosmos that he's, he's made. Um, just as he can name each, of the, each and every star in existence, he can start here in this room and one by one names, name us and knows us by name. Um, he knows us, he loves us, and he invites us into a never-ending relationship with him. That's what verse, verse 4 is all about. Verse 4 says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Answer, we are insignificant in the vastness of it all, but made significant at his good pleasure. Verses 5 and 6 say this, You have made them, that is human beings, a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. And then verses 1 and and 9, which won't be on the screen here for you, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The psalmist and people of God get to call out, cry out, and worship. The Creator God has made Himself known and available to us, which is so amazing. I mean, you see now how this psalm, if we understand it, if we consider it, how it lifts us literally spiritually, to the, to the heavens. It's amazing. But the question then becomes, well, how has he made himself known? Um, you know what's uh, implicit in this psalm is the fact that paradise has been lost. Um, this psalm is amazing, and it's really a recapitulation of the creation account in the first book of the Bible, the first words of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, where God is creating these things, the, the, the heavens, the moon, the stars, all of these things, even the birds, of the air, the, the, the flocks of the field, the, swim, the fish that swim in the sea. Yes, all that swim in the, uh, the, in the, in the path of the seas. It's really a re- recapitulation of, of the creation story where God made all these things and, and they were, said they were good. Uh, it was all, everything was in order. Everything was, was perfect. There was, to borrow the Hebrew term that really encapsulates a lot, it was shalom. There was ultimate peace. Everything was wonderful, but all of that, of course, was lost. This ideal in Psalm 8 was lost. And the Bible teaches us that it was our ancestors and then ourselves as well who regularly choose, regularly choose to say, you know what, I choose myself over others, choose myself over God, maybe even rejecting Him entirely. Um, and as a result of that, uh, chaos entered enter the world, pain, hurt, destruction, um, and the beautiful ideal has been tainted. But though the ideal was lost, this psalm is a beautiful picture that God is actively at work wanting and going to bring back that ideal again. Uh, When it declares the very beginning and the very end, Lord, our Lord, the term behind that word Lord is getting at something of, 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 of God's character that the people of God had been crying out for 500 years before. This psalm was written about 1,000 years B.C., 115 years, uh, excuse me, 1,500 years before Christ was the great exodus, of course. And that's when they called out to the Lord, our Lord, for a deliverer, for a redeemer. God is in the business of redeeming, of restoring, making things right. He is so that, he can, that we can call him our Lord. Um, I love verse 4 in the old King James. It's kind of this old poetic English 
Um, he says, what is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? I love that word, visitest. Actually, I, I have fun saying that because that's actually the word I want to draw your attention to. Uh, it's actually a more literal translation of what's going on here. How has God made himself available? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. God in the flesh visited us. us. For such an important point, I probably should have kept to the normal. But God visited us in the Son. And that Son, by the way, first came as a babe, as a suckling. The one who is the sustainer of all things, the one who is at the moment of creation, who uttered the words, let there be light, the Bible tells us, lowered himself beneath the angels, became a son of man, visited us to take care of us. Look, look at Hebrews 1. Uh, these are the first four verses. I, I found this this week, and I was like, my goodness, this has so many parallels to our psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 8. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at, at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to them. So look at all these references here. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. You know what that's saying? That's saying you think the, the sun, the moon, the heavens, you think creation is pretty cool? It's nothing. It doesn't even scratch the surface in terms of the glory seen in the Son of God and who he is. The Son is the one who sustains all things by His powerful Word, and yet He was the one who emptied Himself and became a Son of Man, as I said, lower than the angels. Why? To bring us back into relationship with Him. As the Hebrews writer said, for the purification of sins, but that was, in other words, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, that whoever believes in Him, whoever receives Him, can be adopted as a son or daughter of His. Um, this is the beautiful picture the psalm is giving us, that it's not about us. Life is not about us, but it's about Him and His love for us. Um, and that, that, to me, when you start to think about the, what this psalm, even a thousand years before Christ, is whispering, and yet having seen Christ and having what we have written about Him, we see abundantly clearer now. It's like a shout. If it was a whisper before, now it's a shout. Is that if the sun, moon, and stars, and all that God has given us, you know, these, the vegetation, the animals, the, all these wonderful things that we enjoy in life. He's given us all of that. It's amazing. And yet none of that compares to how much he loves us in giving us his son to die for us. Um, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. So what should our response be to this, to this song? What should our response be? I think for starters, if you're here today and you haven't received what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, that's the gospel. That's the good news, that you are his beloved. I mean, he loves the stars. He created a lot of them, and they're, they're magnificent, mighty, powerful, beautiful things, yet they don't compare to how much he loves you, how much he prizes you, cares for you, knows you, loves you. And the, and the gospel is, if you would receive what he's done for you in Jesus, he will take you into a loving, never-ending relationship with him. I love that. I love that. Being a follower of Jesus is not first and foremost going to church, saying your prayers, 
being a good person, those things are important. It's first and foremost a relationship with the majestic, with the one who knows us and makes himself known to us. And if that's you today, you can receive that today. It's just something we receive in our heart, what Jesus has done, that he died the death that we deserve so that we could live the life that we don't deserve. And if you have received, the next thought I'd say is this worship, there, uh, this, this psalm, therefore, seems to me to be about worship. Um, we sang today, uh, worship is, is about ascribing worth to the one we really don't have any business being in relationship with. Um, if he's truly made all these wonderful things, partly for our enjoyment, it's kind of going back and saying, thank you, this is amazing. I hate watching movies alone. I hate watching movies. I, I get... I can't, I've walked out of movies, good movies, alone. It's weird, I'm weird, okay. But part, the, one of the biggest reasons is I don't want to leave theater afterwards and not being able to say, hey, it was not a great movie. The one time I left the movie was actually because I had to get somewhere. But, but I, I really don't like see, seeing movies because I love coming out afterwards and saying, that was an amazing movie. Did you see? And could you imagine getting to talk to the director about it? You did this, you know, how you pulled this together. There's something about that praise that connects us to the person. That, and it, how much more the one who made all of this, this wonderful, this beautiful, everything in creation for our good pleasure. For our good pleasure, my word. Uh, I think this psalm is beckoning us to live a life of regular worship to God. When we see something beautiful, maybe it's a beautiful sunset. Maybe it's, a, for me, a, a cresting wave that's getting ready to crash on the, sea, the seashore, feeling the wind. Or maybe it's seeing a beautiful human interaction. Um, what, whatever it might be, it's saying, man, Lord, that's, that's amazing. It's miraculous. Thank you. You know, I think parents, we can instill this into our kids. Um, my dad, when we were on road trips growing up, uh, I was one of six kids, to give you an extent of what the car ride was like. Uh, this is before uh, electronic devices, too, by the way. We were on these long uh, uh, road trips. Uh, we'd, we'd, we'd come across a sunset. My dad would always uh, stop and get our attention. He's like, guys, guys, look. We'd be beating on each other. And he's like, guys, stop, stop. Look at that sunset. Isn't God an amazing artist? That's changed me. I look at a, I look at a sunset now, and I see the splashes of all the different hues off the clouds. I see, I see the very, I just never, you know, sunset's the same. And, just, and, and, and we just say, thank you, Lord, for making that, um, for us to enjoy the beauty, the work of your hands. Um, I think this psalm beckons us to worship. I think this psalm tells us that it's our job to take care of the planet. Verse 6 through 8, you have made them, that is humankind, rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the air, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Christians are to lead out in taking care of the planet, of the environment, of animals. Um, I, it always makes me sad when I hear, and I know the media often finds these stories because they're interesting, they're provocative, all that sort of thing. I know it's not the, no, the norm out there. But oftentimes, Christians will be out there saying, hey, we don't need to take care of the planet. Jesus is coming back. And it's just like, yes, Jesus is coming back, but he commands us to take care of the planet. In fact, to lead out in that. Uh, I don't know what this looks like for you. Personally, uh, in your industry, this is, a, this, is, these are, this is a question we are to ask. How do we... Not just take, how do we lead out in taking care of the planet? Um, and then finally, and this is kind of more of a take it or leave it thought, um, because this is more inferred from this psalm, um, I, I feel like it gives us a sense of urgency. It defi- this psalm definitely gives us a sense of perspective, wouldn't you say? 
I mean, it even says the word, consider the heavens, consider. I mean, that's a word saying, hey, have perspective here. You know, I, like I said earlier, I, I'm obviously not an astronaut being able to go out there and see the, the earth the size of a thumbprint. Um, but I'll tell you, you know where I really get perspective? I mean, there's beautiful times where I see the sunset or a cresting wave and all that sort of stuff. You know where I really get perspective is when I take off in a plane. You know, when I'm sitting on the aisle, which isn't always the case because these legs aren't. Anyways, when I'm sitting by the window and I'm taking off, you just see everything turn, you know, all the people turn into ants, all the, all the cars, you know. You, you know what I'm saying? And I don't know about you, but that for me is kind of an out-of-body experience. Every single time, every single time, I start to like, I feel like God is, started, is showing me in those moments like a little bit more of how he sees the world. Not that we're all little, you know, Lego pieces, but that... We are running around from here to there, doing this errand and that errand, striving at work here and there. Life is short, I always feel, in those moments. I feel like this song, I feel like there's a sense of urgency. What is that sense of urgency? The sense of urgency for those who are followers of God is just to declare, just to make known God and his love for others. Not in a like pulpit smashing, beat you over the head sort of way, but in a loving like, isn't this amazing? And this is available, whether it's surfacing in the workplace, which frankly is hard to do in Silicon Valley. I read an article this week from Vox, a uh, secular news article, a gal who, I, I, from all I could tell in the, 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 uh, the article, isn't Christian, um, atheist herself. She's saying, man, I see it's hard for Christians to be Christian in Silicon Valley. She just came out. It was an interesting article. You can look for it later. I thought it was pretty, pretty interesting. had some interesting thoughts. Um, but how do we make known his love and who he is with a sense of urgency? Because that's God's plan. God's plan is to, through us, gently but surely, make it known. God doesn't want to beat us over the head and say, hey, you must. He wants to let us make a decision for ourselves. And so as followers of his, people as a church, that's our great urgency. Uh, what a great psalm. Man, I'll tell you what, if, if there's a psalm to memorize, we talked about this last week, if there's a psalm to memorize uh, this, this summer, this one's up there. Maybe next week's is a little bit more, Psalm 23, which is probably the most famous of them all. But this is a beautiful one to hold on to, give us perspective. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray.